is from Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. If we don't know each other, my name is David. I've been a part of City Church for six or seven years now. And um, now an elder here. And just really blessed to be able to bring us the teaching of God's Word this morning. Uh, if, you're, if you're new with us, you should know we're preaching through the book of Mark, and uh, that's you know part of our church's practice. Every once in a while, we'll just go through a book of the Bible verse by verse, and that's what we're doing now uh, in Mark, and we're at chapter 12. And, and what we've mentioned before is something that's really remarkable about Mark is the first, so it's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, the first 10 make up almost all of Jesus' ministry in the last six, so basically a third of the book of Mark, is just the last week of his life. Mark slows way, way, way down and gives us some really important details. And, uh, you know, if you can imagine, if you had a, a week left in your life, uh, and you knew, I got one week, and it's like Mark knew Jesus had one week, and he just took p- close attention to those details. And so, um, so we're looking at some of those details this morning. And uh, and our passage is, this is the greatest commandment. Maybe this is a familiar passage for you, and it's all about love. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about some of the love in my life. So on uh, Easter morning, 2009, um, this was at a a different church. I was uh, playing guitar in the band. It was an outdoor service, and in walks a woman in a yellow dress. And I was just struck. Just. And... uh, as soon as the service was over, I beelined it over for this woman. And <clears throat> see, the thing is, I knew who she was. I hadn't seen her in a couple years because she and I went to elementary and middle school together. And as a matter of fact, she had um, confessed her love for me in elementary and middle school. And then we didn't go to high school together, but here I am. I'm in college, and I see her again for the first time in years, and, I, and I'm just, just drawn to her. So I connect with her, and then we get together with friends later that week, and we start talking. At that time, messaging on Facebook was still kind of a thing. And, uh, and then that turned to phone calls, and phone calls turned to dates, and dates turned to letters. And eventually I married her. Yay. I'm very excited about that. Um, and, <clears throat> and so the, the passage we're looking at this morning is about love. 
So we're going to look at we're going to look at our passage this morning. There's the the three um, headings that I want for us to unpack. There's the context of this the greatest commandment here. The context we'll look at the meaning of the commandment. And then lastly, we'll look at the implications of this commandment. Okay, the context of the commandment, the meaning of the commandment, and the implications of the commandment. So. Uh, so what we've seen before this passage is Jesus, you know, we have Palm Sunday. He's coming to the temple. Everyone's like, Hosanna, they're fired up. Here's Jesus. And he's coming to the temple, and uh, they celebrate him. And then there's a bunch of altercations that he has with the Pharisees. You know, you, maybe you know the story. He, uh, he cleanses the temple. He's flipping tables. He's ticked. Some of the junk he sees going on in the temple. And then the Pharisees are like, who's this guy? So they're going after him, and they're trying to catch him up in some um, you know, get him to say something um, heretical that they can charge him with to get him out of their hair. So they're, get, they're proposing these kind of like scriptural riddles, asking them questions. They ask them about um, the afterlife and marriage, like who are you married to in the afterlife. They ask him, maybe you remember we preached on um, um, taxes, paying taxes to Caesar, Caesar, and he says, give unto Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. And So this is the last one of these. And so what happens is this. So it says, it says that the, uh, so the Pharisees are, they're, they're disputing amongst themselves. And it says the scribe, seeing that he answered well. So the scribe comes up and he hears what the Pharisees are saying. And he sees that Jesus answered their questions well. And they're like ticked about it. And it seems like the, the scribe actually had a searing question that he wanted answered. And because it seemed that Jesus had answered well, he's like, maybe this guy has the answer. And so he proposes the question to Jesus. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, the Pharisees at that time had um, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. For us, that's the first five books of the Bible. And in that was 613 laws. All these laws that the Pharisees are trying to keep up. And, um, and so, if you can imagine trying to like hold 613 anything in your mind impossible right and so you got to give priority to something and so the pharisees who are like trying to do all of the laws as best they can they're like okay which one of these should we give priority to and none of them you know they dared like answer because they wanted you know they're like well we got to do all of them but still the question persisted which one should we give priority to so he asks jesus and his answer is to love god and love your neighbor the context here is Jesus has come in to address how, how they're relating to the law. You see, there's 613 laws. That, and, and the thing about that number is it's so long that it feels like, again, like you couldn't possibly like hold it all in your mind. And the, and the purpose, I, I believe, for the purpose of it being 613 is it really, the, the purpose, the, the, the list could be infinite. So if I was to sit down with my now wife, Lena, and I said, hey, babe, let's list every conceivable way I can make you feel loved and every conceivable thing I could do to make you feel unloved. I bet we could, I bet we could come up with more than 613 things. You know, if you, get, if you get detailed enough, and like these 613 laws get pretty darn detailed. I think the purpose is, is that, and what Jesus shows us here in the passage is, is that the, the, the law should affect all of our life. Our entire lives should be affected by God. That His presence should be pervasive in all of our life. But the Pharisees had made it sort of like a checklist. 
they made it like a, 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 a you know this this list of do's and don'ts. And if I if I do this and do this and do this and do this, then God will love me. And if I don't do this, do these things, then yes, God will love me, and that will make me a righteous person. But guys, love is not a checklist. You cannot convey love to somebody by just going through a checklist. Having a checklist helps, as we'll get into a little bit better and a little bit more here in a minute about guiding us in loving a particular person, but you cannot love someone through a checklist. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were what we call having what we call self-righteousness, meaning I am, righteous per, I am a righteous person because of what I do and don't do unto myself by what I've done on my own. And for them, it was following these laws. And through that self-righteousness, they had begun to exert control over other people, other Jews, even Gentiles, the superiority that they had over other folks, and the way that they treated them as lesser. See, Jesus, uh, the, what he, the passage he's quoting here is, that from, he says, when he, when he gives him his answer, Hero Israel, and then love the Lord your God. This is he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, the Israelites, you know, they've they've been in captivity in, in, in Egypt, and God's led them out of Egypt. And then they were sojourners, and they're they're around all kinds of different people who believe all kinds of crazy things. And amongst that, they had been worshiping, uh, you know, idols. And they're about to go into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And God gives them this passage that, that Jesus is is quoting here from Deuteronomy. Look, look, you guys have got into all kinds of crazy. And you're about to go into this land that I've prepared for you that's, that's very special. Before you get in, let's get back to the main thing, purpose of the law. Let's get rid of all this crazy doctrine. Repent of that. Here's the main thing. And this is what Jesus is giving us because what he's going to do here a week later is go to the cross. And with the land of milk and honey, the promised land, it was an allusion to the new heaven and the new earth, which Jesus is going to begin bringing after he raised from, was raised from the dead. And so the, the Pharisees, they have this, this superiority complex, this self-righteousness, this, this control over other people. And I'm reading this, and I don't know about you guys, but, amen, brother. I don't know about you guys, but I, uh, I think about the Pharisees, and it's easy for me to kind of disassociate from them, uh, because you just think about, like, what they probably wore. You're like, I'm nothing like these folks. And, um, but the reality is, is this, this, this natural tendency for self Righteousness, this natural tendency for control over other people is pervasive in all of us. In all of us today. I, at night, when I'm, when I'm reading to get ready for bed, I read biographies. Because they're sufficiently interesting and sufficiently boring and help me get to sleep. And um, for a while, I was reading through some of the presidents. And I read Abraham Lincoln's biography. And uh, I just love, love all the history. And I was, but I was really struck by part of our nation's history in a way that I had never been before when I was reading his biography. There's like some, some strong similarities here. He had an authoritative text. The Pharisees had the Bible, an authoritative text. Abraham Lincoln had the Constitution, and what white America had done was contort this authoritative text to mean what they wanted it to mean in order to have self-righteousness, and in this case, ethnic self-righteousness, to exert control over other people. Well, the Pharisees were 2,000 years ago. This was 300, 350 years ago. Or, no, 250 years ago. 
And today for you and me, we have that same thing in our hearts. Where we went to school. Our resume. Our wealth. What neighborhood we live in. How cool, how handsome, how beautiful you are. The ideology that you hold up. What, how you vote. We find ways to found righteousness in ourselves that gives us a sense of superiority over other people. It gives us a sense that we have right to have control over other people. We're just as susceptible to this as the Pharisees were. Let's not be naive and think that somehow we're better than them. But let's take a deeper look at the meaning of the commandment. The second point here. Verse uh, 29 says, And Jesus answered, The most important is. So he starts with sort of a little preamble here. And again, this is from Deuteronomy. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what this basically means is, you guys have seen all kinds of gods, seen all kinds of ways of worshiping. Some of it's, um, you know, multiple gods and so on. And it's not all paths lead to the top. There's one top, one path that goes up the one mountain to the one God, and it's Yahweh, our God. Got to start there. And then he says in verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. The, 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 the three key components here, you, know, you, you see this, Jesus talks about this a couple times, and then the scribe here brings it back up. But it's, it's basically mind, heart, and strength. So the mind <clears throat> is probably what you think it is. It's, it's your intellect, your, your critical thinking, um, your, your un, the, the scribe calls it in a second, is your understanding. And then the heart is, it's the seat of the emotions. But it's so much more than just the seed of the emotions. It's our affections, our motives, um, the things that we care the most about. So we have our thinking over here, and we have our heart, affections, motives over here. You know, and we, and we uh, maybe you've heard the longest 12 inches in the world is from the head to the heart. And so what... what And the point is here is that this is the entire person. This is the whole person. All of you. All of who you are. Mind and heart. And the third is strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. And so what that, what the strength is, is that is your, your mind and your heart and the full force of both of those things. Every one of us has, bears the image of God. And yet, and I look out across the room here, every one of you is a little bit different. Every one of us has a part of God in us that's unique to just us. And so part of loving God is acknowledging that part of him that he's put uniquely in us and developing it. Mining your potential. What makes me, me? What did God put in me and just me for the purpose that he put me here for? And mining that out and giving the full Thrust of that in your mind, in your heart, your whole person to love God. Loving Him with all of that. So I, uh, you know, other than my love for the Lord and my, my faith in Him, the most pervasive thing in my life is my love for my wife. And the, and the reality is, is I would not live in downtown Atlanta if it weren't for her. 
I would not have children if it weren't for her. Uh, my finances would look different. My weekends would look different. My mornings would look different, and my evenings would look different. Honestly, my body would probably look a little different. Um, I mean, just the, my love for her and her presence in my life affects everything about my life. And it's good. Love her. I don't just love her for what she can do for me. I love her for her own sake. And that's what God is calling us to here. Loving him for his own sake, for who he is, with all that we are. Our mind and our heart and our full strength, our full capacity. This is the greatest commandment. So so Jesus gives the first, and so the the scribe asks for, he's like, what's the greatest commandment? So here it is, love the Lord your God. He did not ask for the second greatest commandment, and yet Jesus gave it anyway. The second greatest commandment, he says in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why did he give that second greatest commandment? Like, okay, well, then where's the third? Well, the most commonly memorized Bible verse, I think, in the world is John 3.16. And if when, you, when we think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should have eternal life. When we think about that, we normally think about ourselves, don't we? And that's right, that we should, because he did come for you. But he also came for your neighbor. God loved the world. He loved, he loved all your neighbors so much that he sent his son from heaven. Now, if you have kids, this should ring some bells for you. As a matter of fact, if you're a dog person and you have a dog, this should ring some bells for you. Um, you know, if you, if, if you can imagine, you know, I've got, I've got two kids. If someone came and lived, you know, I let them come live with me for a period of time, and this person just loved me. And they wanted to make sure they knew I lo- they loved me. And they did all this stuff for me, but they just completely ignored my children. That would be awkward. And if you have kids, you know, when someone loves your children really well, they make you feel really loved. Right? So you cannot love God and not also love your neighbor. That's what Jesus is trying to point out. You cannot separate the first commandment with, from the second. If you're going to love God, you've got to love your neighbor too. And, 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 and notice it's love your neighbor as yourself. I think sometimes you know, our tendency, to, we, we tend to relate to our neighbor in, in one of two ways. We either have a sense of superiority I'm better than them for some reason or another, or I deserve more than they do for some reason or another. Or we will demean ourselves. This is maybe more common around like monks and so on, but, but we, we can do this too, that, that we, we diminish our own value as a person and trying to do things for other people. And the reality is, is we are both deeply loved by God, extremely valuable to him. And we acknowledge that about ourselves. We acknowledge that about our neighbors. And so we can, we can be honest about what, what us being loved well looks like and then love our neighbors just like that. Love your neighbors yourself. Treat others as, they, as you would want to be treated. These are the two greatest commandments. And so um, something that's really apparent in our passage here as I mentioned, this, the scribe has is, is clearly been mulling on this for a while. Um, and so we'll look at the implication of the commandment, because he like he starts to talk about it, not Jesus. 
And it says that the, uh, verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, there's no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings. You'll, you'll notice, he, he, he repeats it back to Jesus. Jesus just said it, and then he repeats it back to Jesus, but not verbatim the way Jesus says it. Which, is, which clues us into the fact that he, he had been holding this in his mind already. And Jesus said exactly what he thought the right answer was. So what, and, the, and then he goes on to say, This is, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he, he's acknowledging if this is really true, if these are really are the greatest commandments, then all the, all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices are nothing compared to this. And what's really profound about that is they're standing in the temple, which, you know, Scott's shown us a picture of this temple. On a, on, on, I don't have the slide with me now, but this is a substantial complex. And he's acknowledging the fact that everything that we're doing here at this temple is basically meaningless compared to these two commandments. I think he was afraid to say it out loud. To acknowledge just how serious this is. Which is what Jesus was there to expose. And I, and I have to believe that he was, uh, he was thinking about Amos 5. This was our Old Testament reading from a little bit earlier. And I'll read it again to us. See, in, in Amos 5... The Israelites had, God's people, had gotten way off their rocker on what was really important to God, what was the main thing. All over the Old Testament says the justice and righteousness, the foundation of God's throne. And they had gotten way, way away from that. And yet they're doing all these burnt offerings and, and songs and all kinds of stuff. And God is like, that doesn't mean anything to me if you've missed the main thing. Listen to this, Amos five twenty two. It says, even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look on them. Take from me the noise of your song. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Can you imagine for a second if, if in, in my marriage... I didn't really pay good attention to Elena. Um, didn't care for her heart throughout the year. Throughout the year, I just, I was not very loving to her. But then on our anniversary and, and uh, Valentine's Day, I just went real big. Real, real big, you know. A lot of hoopla. She's going to be like, I don't really care. What I really want is for you to love me all the time. All, all, all the hoopla on these two days is meaningless to me without you getting the main thing of loving me. That's exactly what was happening in Amos 5. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to expose in the temple here in his interaction with the scribe. This is so deep, this next part here. And when Jesus, this is verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, so the scribe, the scribe 
not just repeated back the two greatest commandments, but the implications of them. And when he saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. No one dared ask him any more questions. See, Jesus clearly had the right answer. But the scribe and the Pharisees had two different responses. So the scribe had, he's like, yes, yes. That's what I was, that's what I'm saying. I've been thinking about that. And then the Pharisees, like, they're like, they're, they're picked. You know, they're like, let's crucify this guy. Even though they know his, his answer is right, it's meddling with their self-righteousness and their control over other people. And they were angry. So the two, two different responses to Jesus giving the right answer. And his answers were so right, they dared not ask him any more questions. Now, Jesus replies to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. His reply there is deliberately ambiguous. It has two, maybe three meanings. And here's the first and most obvious meaning. Salvation. Now, if at the end of this service, one of you guys comes up to me and says, David, that was not far from a great sermon. The, the, the logical next thing out of my mouth is going to be like, well, what was missing? What was missing? See, the, the scribe, he knew the scriptures. He had been doing his best to keep the law. He even had seen the places where the Pharisees, where the temple, where the religious elite had, got, had been getting it wrong. And Jesus' reply is, you're not far. Ah, so, what's the, so the question is, what's he missing? What he was missing was repentance and faith in Jesus. See, the, the, when, throughout the, the Gospels, we see even the demons. When Jesus interacts with, with people that are demon-possessed, the demons run up and fall before Jesus, and they acknowledge who he is, and he has to shut them up. Satan believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan believes that all of this is true, and yet his faith is not in Jesus. He has not repented. So you can actually know the Scripture, go to church, do all the things that look like Christian, and not actually have a relationship with God, and not actually be saved. Which, which leads us to the second thing. The second meaning of you're not far from the kingdom of God is that Jesus was, he actually was geographically close to the kingdom of God because it was Jesus himself who was standing right in front of him. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I'm right here. I'm right here. You just have to believe on me. Believe on me. Receive me as your Lord and Savior. See, if, if, if I was to, if I was to do something that would that deeply hurt Lena, my wife. And I created a rupture in our relationship. And, yet, and then I went about doing all the things that I know that make her feel loved. Emptying the dishwasher, taking out the trash, taking her, initiating a date on Monday nights and booking a place and getting child care. And, I mean, there's, the list goes on and on. And like the little things that I do that make her feel loved. But we never address, address the rupture, the thing that I did that deeply hurt her. None of that's going to really matter. 
There has to be reconciliation. And the same is true for you and me, guys. We can do all the things that the Bible says is good and is important, but if we haven't been reconciled with God first, then there can't be communion. We can't express and receive love until we've had reconciliation. And that's what Jesus was offering the scribe. He's saying, you've got it. You've got it. And I'm right here. But have faith on me. Repent of your self-righteousness and exerting your control over the people and have your righteousness in me. Because here's the thing about the greatest commandment. None of us are capable of loving God with our whole selves. None of us are capable of loving him with our whole mind and our whole heart and our whole strength. It's actually a completely impossible commandment to follow. And futile to try. And yet Jesus Christ, he did follow it all. He did do it just right. For you and me. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, did, he, he did all the things that you and I can't do, all the things that would have kept things right with God, and then he died on a cross. And he was buried. I recently saw the, uh, the film, The Killers of the Fire Moon, and I read the book before, and you know, it's about the Osage and Native Americans, and they, there's a scene where they're, you know, they're burying them, and they're burying them with all their, their, gem, their gems and, and gold and, and, and personal items for them to take into eternity. And this is not unique to, to this, you know, the Osage Native Americans. This is something that kings and, and royalty have done for thousands of years. They're buried with swords and horses and all these things for them to take off with them to, into eternity. And yet, the one true king, the king of kings, he was buried with your and my sin, our filth. The, th- the, the things that we've done to rupture our relationship with God. Because he was the only person that could triumph over death. And leave our sin in the ground. And so he sits before the scribe and says, you're so close. The greatest commandment is about love. And 1 John 14, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And so if you're here this morning, maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you've been trying to follow the, good, the Ten Commandments, and maybe you love your neighbor really well. But perhaps you haven't believed on Jesus, haven't repented of your sin and your self-righteousness. I just want to say to you, this morning is a great morning to do that. To have faith in Jesus, because he so loved you that he came here for you. And then, then, the law, all the laws, the loving Lord your God and loving your neighbor. See, the checklist that I have with Lena, I'm never going to perfectly keep it up. Right? The, the checklist that, that God has given us, we can't perfectly keep it up. But when we have a love relationship where there's been reconciliation, then, then, then the law can guide us in how to love well. But there's grace and forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus is offering us. I just want to invite you to that this morning. If you haven't already received Receive Jesus, put your faith on Him. Maybe you've never heard anything from the Bible before. Maybe you've read the Bible a hundred times over. And, and, and the, the Christian life is just a constant act of repentance, y'all. Because we still, we still try to do this sometimes, don't we? We still try to find self-righteousness. We still try to exert superiority and control over other people. And let's repent of that. Forgiveness is offered us in Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we're, we, uh, we're just so grateful 
Yes, that you've given us your law. You've given us guidance. But the weight of the law doesn't have to crush us. That you were crushed for us. So you could offer us forgiveness. You could offer us your purity, reconciliation, and love. May we receive your love this morning. Maybe for some of us for the first time, and for those of us already know you in a fresh way, that we would love you better and love our neighbors better. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now we continue in worship by... uh